Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Exodus. This is the book where God redeems the people of Israel out of Egypt. You know, some people have actually said, redemption is greater than creation. You know, I think about that for a minute. If you think about how many movies that you've seen in the movie houses about redemption, whether it's Star Wars and the Dark Force, Luke, all that, whether you look at... um, you know, the Clint Eastwood movies, whether you look at, but it's where something uh, was good, then something came along and wrecked it, and then a savior comes on the scene and fixes it. This is one of the key things that uh, we find in the Bible, but redemption is something that God absolutely does because he loves his people. Now, again, we wrapped up the study last week in Genesis Joseph uh, dying, being embalmed, he said, told his brothers, whatever you do, when you leave Egypt, don't leave me here. Now, I know a lot of people don't care much about their body when they're dead. Uh, Just cremate me, sprinkle my ashes over the Snake River Canyon. Um, Finally, you get to jump off the bridge this time without a parachute. Okay. But the point is, is this. In the Bible, interestingly enough, The body did mean something, and its placement thereof meant something. I know a lot of people today say, well, it's the old shell, it doesn't matter. But what I believe the old shell is, is a testimony for future generations concerning your life. Now remember, Jacob, when he died, he said, I don't want to be buried here either. And so we remember he was taken back to the cave that he bought, and he was buried not alongside Rachel, his favorite wife, but he was buried alongside Leah, whom the Savior came, because it was Judah from the tribe, from from Leah. So understanding that, we now come into Genesis, uh, excuse me, uh, Exodus 1. Let's pray. Father, as we read these words today, may you expand our horizons. May we understand how great, how big, how wonderful you are. And so we ask you now, by your spirit, that you would show us and let us know, again, confirm to us that great redemption in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt, each and... (laughs) And each man, each of his household that came to Jacob, um, the children of Israel and the ones that came to Jacob. Interesting here we find in this verse, you find both his old name, Jacob, heel catcher, and his new name, guided by God or led of God. Uh, in the same chapter. You'll find that in the Bible, God changes our name. And for your information, you as a Christian, the Bible says in heaven, you're going to get a new name too. I don't know what it's going to be. Maybe some of you really liked your name. Maybe some of you didn't like the name uh, uh, Rasputin. If you didn't like that, God's going to give you a new name. Now, here's why that's important. God knows us differently than people by the world know us. 
That's why I believe there is a new name given to us. God sees you differently than the world sees you, and God sees you differently than you see yourself. Paul tells us God already sees us seated in heavenly places with him. And when I'm having a really bad day, I want to always get God's view of me seated in heavenly places with him. Again, God lives in all times present. God knows the ultimate decisions that I will make in my life. And just because God knows the decisions I will make does not stop me from making those decisions. How then wisely should I pray to make the right decisions? Well, here we find the children of Israel who, and notice this, who came to, when they came to Egypt, the children of Israel, the children of Jacob. Now, When it's after the flesh, you'll find the old name. When it's after the spirit, you'll find the new name. You'll find Abram, and then as God changed his name to Abraham, you find Jacob, heel catcher, God changed his name to chosen of God. Now, why is that? Well, you'll find in the scripture, when they do things in the flesh, you'll find the old name. When they do things after the spirit, you find the new name. Notice this. In this verse, the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. The names of the children of Israel. That was his name. That's where they got their name, Israel. Now, you'll notice these are the names of the children. But notice it says, each and his household came with Jacob. You know, there's a lot of things that Jacob did that weren't after the Spirit. I think that's why the name Jacob appears here. Uh, He started having kids with his wife's handmaidens, all kinds of crazy stuff, okay? But what's really amazing, when you go to Revelation chapter 7, you find all the children of Israel, the tribes of Israel listed, and they're listed there. Why? Because remember this, everyone, God is bigger than the things that you've done wrong. God fixes things. My dad, my earthly father, could fix anything. I never even worried about breaking stuff because I know dad could fix it. Oh, that we would get that same concept about our father in heaven. No matter what happens, daddy can fix it. Now, does that mean it doesn't leave a mark? Yeah, it'll leave a mark. You drive a a, 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 a old rusty nail into a beautiful varnished uh, uh, coffee table. Well, God comes along and pulls the nail out, but it will leave a hole. Best to not let the hole get driven in the coffee table in the first place. So he lists the name, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Iskar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Daniel, Naphtali, Gad, Asher. All those were descendants of Jacob and the 70 persons for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all of his brothers, and that generation. So we find a change now of going from really the patriarchal fathers now into the children of Israel in the land of Goshen, the very best land, because Pharaoh was so indebted to Joseph for interpreting the dream and preserving the people of Egypt and the, and the whole Middle East, for that matter, that he gave to Joseph for his family the very best land of Egypt. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied, grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. They estimate over a million at this point in just 400 years. 
Now, this from now on, we get into some really wild, really wild stuff in the Bible. Because when we look at this, we have to look at several places. And this is where the precept comes in in studying line by line. Now, verse 8. Now, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Friends, this is a weird verse, but it's very important in understanding the rest of Scripture. When we go to the book of Acts, and I'll just go to the book of Acts, if I can get there. Um, The book of Acts, chapter 7, it tells us here, that, and I'll just read this to you. Uh, if you like, take notes. It's Acts seven seventeen. And when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. We just read that in the Old Testament. Now we're in the New Testament. Now here's what's important. Till another king arose who did not know Joseph. You said, Mike, we just read that. Yeah, the word another, there's two Greek words for the word another. Another, I was writing with my pencil, I broke my pencil, I need what? Another, okay? That's one of the same kind. But another in the, in the Greek can also mean another of a different kind. Interestingly enough, the other here, what we find in Acts chapter 7, is one of a different kind. You say, well, why does that matter? Well, if you go even further, and if we go, uh, go going back, um, Isaiah 52 verse 4, here the Bible says that they were oppressed in Egypt by an Assyrian. Oh, I I, I thought it was an Egyptian. Oh, contradictions in the Bible. No. It was a pharaoh of a different kind. It wasn't an Egyptian pharaoh. Yes, still in Egypt. Yes, still called a pharaoh. But it was not an Egyptian pharaoh. It was an Assyrian pharaoh. Either by the expansion of the uh, Assyrian Empire... Or somehow this Assyrian got in to the position of being Pharaoh, did not know all the things that that Joseph and the children of Israel did for Egypt. And the Bible now here talks about then the heavy oppression that came upon the children of Israel. And he said to his people, verse 9, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more mightier than we. Come, let us deal treacherously. The word wisely there is actually the word shrewdly or treacherously with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of a war that they would join our enemies and fight against us. So let's go up. Um, so, so... Uh, so they not go up out of the land. So the idea here was that they were going to now come against them. Now, a couple of things. First of all, I want to tell everybody, do what you can do while you can do it. Because somebody else may come along that's not like you and will not have the influence in your family or in your friends or in your school or in your company like you do. Things change in this world. The effect that you and me can have today may not be there tomorrow. 
And so work, Jesus said, for the night is coming when no one can work. We want to be as effective as we can to promote the gospel while we can, because the rapture may come. You may not be here. You know, I think about that. Today might be the last day we'll be here. Just imagine, you got plans this week, what you're going to go do, got to mow the lawn. Lord, come, we're out of here. Imagine the world without God. Well, that's what they're going to get. The second possibility is there's people that are with us this week that the Lord may take home. They may die. They may go into an eternity without God. They won't be here next week. We want to do what we can do for God while we can do it, because we're not always going to be here. There will be another king that will come in your place, another person that will come in your place that may not have the godly influence that you offer your family, your friends, your business. And so it says, another king came. So they were fearful of them. Let us begin to oppress them. Now, you got to remember, the full 400 years that they were in Egypt, the children of Israel, was not all slavery. But towards the end of that, this another king that rose up, this is where the heavy oppression and slavery came. Now, I have found something in my own personal life that God generally, when he wants to move me, will give me the unction to do so. Rarely does somebody come along and say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing really good. Hey, you ready to go move, do something else? No, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. But you know, I have found that when I get really unhappy or whatever, and I'm not talking about spiritual oppression, because I believe we can be spiritually oppressed if we're doing God's work. Certainly as we look at the life of Jesus, the disciples, Paul, you see how uh, there would be many different things that would try to stop them from doing what God called them to do. Even if it was to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, where the demon-possessed man was, the Bible says a storm arose on the Sea of Galilee in some much that they thought they were going to sink. Um, I I, I do know that there is real oppression in the world, especially for us as Christians, and that we need to be geared up for it to know how to address and how to see the difference. Number one, are the things that are coming upon me, God using those to motivate me to go do something else? Or number two, is it oppression from the enemy to stop me from doing what I am doing? I think that's a good question. I think we both need to know the answer. First of all, if you are effective in what you are doing for God, I would venture to say that what's coming at you is an attack of the enemy to stop you from doing what you're doing for God. In other words, the devil doesn't waste his time on dead horses. He's going to go after those that are movers and shakers. And by the way, everyone listening in this room, everyone listening on the radio and around the world on the internet, we all need to be a mover and shaker. That is not the pastor's responsibility or, or lay leader's responsibility or Sunday. All of us need to be a mover and a shaker. Now, how do you become a mover and a shaker? Good question. Pray. That's all you got to do. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You will go from the mundane to the supercharged, just the way it works. 
Because you're now doing your father's business, not your business. My business will be, I think, very similar to what the children of Israel are doing. Day-to-day doldrum. They were there in a rut. And God now puts slavery upon them and begins to motivate them to want to move. Now, sometimes, again, we know that the attack is spiritual. But sometimes we know the things that we go through are to get us ready to move us into a new domain. Friends, that's what happens. I know endless people that have gone through different things. They've lost their business and everything only for God to move them where they want, where God wants them to be. But I also have seen other things that go on where you're miserable and God says, it's time to go. So in order, now you got to remember, they were in the very best land of Egypt. They were enjoying that for hundreds of years. Cushy, I like it here, don't bother me. And then things come along and God says, okay, get ready to go. Well, I don't want to go. God says, yes, you will. And God begins to do things in an individual's life to cause us to say, I need to do something different. I remember distinctly, I was on the San Bernardino Freeway at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when I lived in Los Angeles. It was smoggy. It was hot. I didn't have air conditioning that worked in my car. And I was sitting in bumper-to-bumper traffic. And I looked around and I go, do I really want to live here the rest of my life? So I went in to the evaluation that was scheduled at 3.30 in Arcadia, California. And I walked in and I sat down for my evaluation. We were sitting there and they said, well, Mike, we're just curious. What motivates you to work? You're a single guy. What motivates you? And I said, you know what? To pay my van off? They said, well, how much do you owe on it? I said, $200. I said, and I think that's about what I have coming in my uh, vacation pay. I quit. They said, what? And I said, yeah, I don't want to be here anymore. Why? Because I don't want to be here anymore. I was miserable. Bumper to bumper traffic, smoggy and hot. And I remember I used to come up to Idaho to see my grandma on summer vacation. I go, that's where I believe God wants me to go. But see, I wouldn't have gone had I not been challenged where I was at. This is not where I'm supposed to be. The children of Israel were complacent. They liked it where they were at. But God says, no, I'm going to put some things in your life now that are going to be motivators for you to change. Some of you may find this in your own life. It's not a spiritual oppression. It's that really you're kind of happy-go-lucky. You're kind of where I'm at. This is what I'm doing. And God says, okay, we're going to go into a deeper relationship with me. So he says, therefore, verse 11, I, I, whenever I find the word therefore in the Bible, I, I know, I always like to find why it's therefore. Why is that? Because it's a summary of what we just read. He says, therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pinnam and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiply and grew. And by the way, the Egyptians figured this out. 
The Romans figured this out, that uh, God's blessing is there regardless of what others try to do to you. We've always talked about this. God's blessing in your life is greater than the things others try to do to you or what you've done yourself. Wouldn't be much of a God of redemption if God could only redeem me from like really good things. But God redeems us from some really ugly things, really bad things, and things that I had nothing to do with, just people being mean. God's greater than that. And so as we shared before, rather than being filled with revenge, as Joseph could have been towards his brothers that sold him into slavery, Joseph recognized the hand of God, that God allowed that to happen so he could go to Egypt as a slave in a land he didn't know, in a language he couldn't speak, be falsely accused, end up in prison, But there he interpreted the butler's dream and the butler told Pharaoh when he had a dream and he couldn't interpret and he went from prison to prime minister in a day. You see, there's no real room in our lives and I know this is hard to say, but there's no real room for vengeance in a Christian's life. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Let him deal with the nasties. There's a lot of, there's so many nasties out there, you can't even begin to deal with them all. So let God deal with them. I don't know what he's going to do. You know, you look at the early church, and here's this wild nut running around named Saul, persecuting the church. Wherever he found him, he would capture them, deliver them into the hand of the Romans to be executed. And God lays him out on the road, on the way to Damascus to get more Christians to arrest them. And we find that we find because of that, probably a half of the New Testament has been penned by Paul to help all of us today. Now, I suppose if there was vengeance offered, God kill Saul now. Do you realize you would have killed half the New Testament? God's plan is bigger, and I don't know what he's doing. So all God's called you and me to do is do what he has called me to do. And that's to pray for my enemies. Yeah, I'll pray for them. God, kill them. No, 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 no. That's not what we want to do. You know, David do that. You start reading some of the Psalms. Oh, God, I pray you break their teeth out. But by the end of the chapter, he's praying and praising God. You see, I I think if we move outside of the venue of our relationship with God, we can then begin to take matters into our own hands. And how many of you, me, know how bad that turns out? We think we're going to fix it and we make it worse. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Let God deal with it. The more the Egyptians oppressed the children of Israel, the more they flourished. See, here's the thing you got to remember. Carnal Christians, because I know many of you have been burned by Christians just as bad as people that have no claim to God whatsoever. Amen? My hand. Hands are up. I've had that happen. But you've got to remember something. Still, God is God. And he's the one that will take care of you and see you through. And it is not, again, my responsibility to deal with them. That is God's responsibility. I always must leave it in God's hands. 
He is your dad. He's your father. Not some unknowable God in the farthest most cosmos hiding behind Saturn. He's closer, nearer than a brother, the Bible says. Now, why is that important? If I lose that concept, I will take matters into my own hands. And by the way, friends, that's backsliding because that's what I did before I accepted Christ. I did it my way. Do you know what's interesting? In the garden, where Satan said to Eve, if you eat of the tree, you'll be as gods. Remember that? Do you know what's weird about that? Do you know, do you know, what, do you know what we have today in our society, 21st century America and the world? A world of gods. Not that other people worship, but that we worship. You worship your God. If I'm going to eat of the tree, you'll be his God. I'm not, they eat of the tree. I'm now God. I worship myself. I do. I want to buy magazines that say me on it. I want to buy magazines that say self on it. I want it. It's all about you, baby. You get the picture? You'll be his gods. In other words, it will be self-exhortation. That's what the problem is. It's no longer thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's my kingdom come, my my will be done. Well, that's what the problem is. Now, why? Mick Jagger said it best. I can't get no satisfaction if I tried. It was a popular song in the 60s, but it still echoes in the conscience of people today. He said it well, I can't get no satisfaction if I tried. Why is that? Because it's not within man to live righteously, and it's not within man to give you what you need. That's why we are so subjectable to any new trinket that comes along. I want that. No, I want that. No, I want that. I want that. Bigger, better, heavier, more parts. More to break. More to keep track of. You see, and so God in his love says, look, I want to set you free from that so you can discover who you really are in me. And by the way, everyone, you don't make who you are. If you don't get anything else out of this today, remember this. You do not make who you are. Well, he's a self-made man. No, you're not. You discover who you are. You don't make who you are. Let me explain. I can walk over back behind here and pick up a guitar. And I can go, wang, astropunk. No, I can go, wang. And, and, and I'm not a musician. I've tried. I can play guitar a little bit, enough to make people scream, blood running out of their ears and things. But somebody else can pick up a guitar and they just almost without a lesson can begin to play it. And I'm going, how do you do that? Because you're discovering a gift that was in you that you did not create. How is it that some people are just really gifted when it comes to financial matters? They seem to know when to buy. They know when to sell. Everybody else is selling when they should be buying, buying when they should be selling. In fact, a guy years ago in the Depression said, the secret to wealth is to buy when people are selling and sell when people are buying. But most of us have found that is not the case. But some people are gifted with different gifts. You discover what it is. Why is it that you go, 
gee, I just love soldering wires. And you got geek tattooed on your forehead. You have the pocket saber with the screwdriver, even though you're not taking anything apart. Funny how I know that. That was an attraction as an example in my life. I didn't make me say, boy, soldering wires is cool. Everybody else is riding motorcycles. I go, eh. you know, it was weird. But that led to what God wanted me to do in my life. Build radio stations and solder them. And there's a transmitter on the air right now in Tonga that I built in my garage because back when I built it, they were the size of a refrigerator. And a guy named Helgi that worked for Motorola invented a transistor that's only this big. And I called him on the phone and I said, is there any way we can make this work on the FM band? He said, yes, you got to change this part and this part and this part. I think this will work. And I did what he said and it's on the air. And instead of having to have a shipping container as big as a house, I was able to put it in a suitcase and take it over there. Weird techno geek stuff. I go, God, I don't know where this came from. It's because God put it in you. I just happen to have the time to discover that. You don't make who you are. You discover who you are. And God, in his love and by the Holy Spirit, as we accept him as Savior, begins to use us in these different avenues. Sometimes God will use those natural gifts for the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes he'll give you new supernatural gifts to be used for his kingdom. But nevertheless, you are uniquely made in the image of God. And friends, because of that, God's got a unique calling on your life. And if we'll spend 10 minutes praying every day saying, God, what do you want me to do for you? God will show us what he wants us to do for us. But the world doesn't see God. They see you. And they think, wow, look how talented that person is. Or look how smart that person is. Or look how dumb that person is. And I don't know how they're so successful. Do you know why? They don't see the God that's in your life because their eyes have never been trained to see God. Their eyes have been trained to see after the natural things. And the Bible says, do not judge after the appearance of anything. But that's all the world does, isn't it? But when you become a Christian, you become aware of a spiritual world, the battle of the invisible empires. And because of that, people don't see the God behind you. The Egyptians did not see the God behind the children of Israel. The Romans did not see the God behind the children of Israel and the Messiah that was to come. They didn't see that. And they don't see the anointing of God in your life. They think, well, if I do exactly what you do, I'll be as successful as you are. Nope, because it isn't me that's bringing the success. It is God in me bringing the success and being where God wants us to be. Isn't that good to know? Man, I'll tell you, all of a sudden life gets a whole lot easier. Where should I go? What should I do? What's everybody else doing? Oh, they're doing this? Then that's what I need to be doing. Oh, they're wearing ankle bracelets? I'll wear an ankle bracelet. If you got an ankle bracelet on, I am not attacking you. I'm just saying that oftentimes... We look around and see what everybody else is doing. We want to be successful. We want to be in the in crowd. I want to get that, you know, uh, barbed wire around my arm because everybody else is doing it. They don't do that anymore. That was a thing they did in the 70s. But that's a whole point. 
Everything has changed. And so we want to be, and the devil leads humanity around with a big brass ring in their nose, farther and farther from the purposes of God. Pharaoh, Egypt did not see the God that was behind the children of Israel. The world today does not see the God that's behind you. And by the way, Egypt is a type of the world. It just is. It was freed for a while, and then the slavery comes. And it gets worse and worse and worse. And the Bible says eventually the people cried out. And as they cried out, God sent them a deliverer, Moses. As you cry out, God sends you a deliverer called Jesus Christ. And brings you out of the world. Now remember this, for those that don't want to wait for chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. God took the children of Israel out of Egypt But it was decades for God to take Egypt out of the children of Israel. God took them physically out of Egypt, but their hearts were still in Egypt. Sound familiar sometimes? Look what everybody else gets to do. But we're not everybody else. Never, ever compare yourself with what anything in the world. You are not them. Yeah, but look what they got to have, and I don't get that. Listen, if God wants you to have it, you will have it. Look, he multiplied the loaves and fishes, literally. What resource, what little resource the woman had. Elijah said, what do you have? She goes, I have a little bit of oil. He says, go borrow every pot you can find. Close the door and start pouring. She poured out and poured out and poured out. All the vessels were filled until she came to the last one. The, the, the jug stopped pouring. She sold the oil and redeemed her sons. God takes whatever we have, blesses it, breaks it, and multiplies it. That's how God works. It isn't blab it and grab it, visualize it, you know, uh, kind of thing. It's just being a Christian and being in him like a fish in water, Paul says. Excuse me, Luke says in the book of Acts, in him we live, move, exist, and have our being. Like a fish in water, that's the way it works. So I don't have to copy what the world's doing. All I have to do is say, Lord, what do you want me to do? You're unique. No one's ever been like you on this planet ever before. No one will ever be like you on this planet ever again. You are unique. Now, I know the devil hates that. He wants you to believe you're just a worker bee. Get in line. This is one of the reasons why I'm so opposed to the idea of communism and stuff, because you're just a worker bee. Get in line. There is no God. Work for the common good of everyone. That's not what God said. God says you're unique and wonderfully made. There is a God who made you. You're not a cosmic accident. Lightning didn't hit a swamp, and here you are five billion years later. You are uniquely designed by God. And because of that, no one is like you. And I have to be very careful who I go to for advice, because here's the reason why. So many things have gone into your life to make you who you are. Maybe you were raped as a child. Maybe you were, you were blessed. Maybe you had great parents. Whatever it is, you are a composite of your life. 
But if somebody doesn't know all those composites in you, how can I go to somebody and say, give me advice, them not knowing all the intricacies about you? So God does. And so when I pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God, knowing all your talents, knowing all your abilities, knowing the good things that have happened to you, the bad things that happens to you, God says, I have the perfect plan for you. Wow. You see, it isn't just redemption pie in the sky when you die. It's that God's got a life for you to live here. And what do we do when we're here? Well, see, that's where fellowship comes in. There's things that God uses us for collectively, together. There's things God uses us for individually for his kingdom. And then there's the personal relationship with God, where it isn't what I'm doing for God. It's that, God, I love you. I want to be alone with you. I want you just to tell me and encourage me, because I really feel like terrible, nasty today, and I just need your hand in my life. And God then comes with his love and heals us. Friends, we are broken people. Have you noticed that? We oftentimes wonder, what is wrong with people? They're broken! Broken really bad. When you look and see how bad our world is broken, when we don't even know what bathroom to go in anymore, that's how bad we are. We're broken, broken, bad, bad. Do you know what God has done? He's blessed you and made you a fixer. I like that. And do you know what a fixer does? Take something worthless and makes it valuable. That's what happens. You'll find something, a yard sale, at the dump, all kinds of different places. Doesn't work. It's not worth nothing. It's junk. And you take it home and you look at it and say, well, hey, this little widget isn't hooked up to the Stratosfast and the Dulachi is not hooked up to the, you know, rapidy-do-dad. And so you fix it and all of a sudden the thing works again. You made something nothing worth nothing worth something. Well, much more than things are people who are broken that are worthless. That's where suicide comes in. Do you know why people have thoughts of suicide? Because they felt that they've outlived their usefulness. And I venture to say, friends, you have, if you're not a Christian. Because every avenue you go down, you hit a dead end. And finally, it is, I just want to give up. Because I've tried every single thing that everybody on the rock scene said to do, what TV says to do, what Hollywood says to do, and I'm still where I was at before, only worse. This bud's for you. As I wrap my car around the tree next door. No. You're worse. It's not better. They don't see the God in your life as a Christian. Let's finish this. And the king of Egypt spoke to the midwives, whose name was Sephra and the other name was Pua, And said to them, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women, see them on their birth stools. If it's a son, then you shall kill him. And if it's a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do so as the king of Egypt commanded them. 
but save the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and saved the male children? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, they're stout, they're big, that's what he's saying here. For they are lively and give birth before the midwives can get to them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all of his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Now, chapter 2 deals with the birth of Moses. He comes from the tribe of Levi, which is significant because it's, 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 it's where we got the law from. We'll talk more about that next week as we get into this, because now we're beginning to see the difference between a redeemer that comes after the law and Jesus Christ who comes after the spirit. The Bible tells us the law was never meant to save man. The law, the Ten Commandments, and the Old Testament laws were meant to show us how desperately we needed a Savior. Don't you see? It's overwhelming. We are too badly broken. We can't follow rules. So Jesus comes after the Spirit, not after the law. The law shows us how desperately we needed a Savior. It wasn't meant to redeem man. It was meant to show us how badly we're broken. But Jesus, the Bible says, met that requirement and we are clothed in his righteousness. Oh, that's good news, friends. Because see, when the world looks at us, what what do we want them to see? We want them to see us clothed in his righteousness. You see, God's got a new name for you. And I pray that as we live in that new name, and if nothing else, you're a Christian, follower of Christ, recognizing his hand in your life. Though the world wants to make fun of you, ridicule you, they don't see God in you. Remember that. They might just see you and go, well, how come they're happy or how come they're blessed or how come they don't understand that? You see, The night is coming when no one can work, Jesus said. Being about our Father's business. The world does not see God. Egypt did not see God's hand in the the Hebrew children's lives. The world doesn't see God's hand in yours. We all have come out of the world. We've all come out of Egypt. And I pray that if more that we leave Egypt, we leave it behind. But you know, the children of Israel say, you know, I remember the leeks and the garlics. Our breath hasn't stunk for a long time, Moses. We want to go back to Egypt. You want to go back and be a slave? You know, it's funny. We forget the bad about a place. I remember moving up here from California and uh, years ago. And I was always thinking, you know, we used to be able to go down and get this and get this and get this. And oh, it was so neat because you could get whatever. You know, I forgot all the bad stuff. You just remember the good stuff you could get. But the reason we got out of there was because it was so bad. Now, again, my parents are, my dad was from Idaho. and In fact, owned the farm across the street for a number of years and, and, uh, 
You know, I, I look at that and I realize we forget. And that Bible warns us about that. Don't forget the hole from which you were dug and the pit which you were pulled. You see, we get ourselves in these things. You as a Christian realize how good you have it in Christ. If you're not a Christian here today, I, my heart breaks for you. Because you are complete prey. The brass ring in the nose by the world to drag you through the mud, whatever they want to do to you, and you have no basis for your faith. Now, this morning, if you're tired of living that way, and maybe you're a Christian that's bought into the lie of the world, maybe, maybe a little bit of that old Egypt has crept into your life as a Christian, and you're thinking, well, you know, maybe, maybe it is better to play on the wrong side of the fence. I just want to encourage you this morning, don't buy into the lie. God's got something better for you. You see, this morning, God's hand upon you is so important. God's got a job for you. Let him do that in you. This morning, if you're not a Christian, we're going to pray. And if you're a Christian and you're backslidden, you know what that means. You're not where you know God wants you to be. I want you to pray and ask Jesus to come into your life today. And let him do his purpose, his will in your life. Withdrawing your residency from Egypt and saying, okay, God, let's go to the promised land. You can pray and ask God to do that this morning. The Bible says we repent of our foolish way of living, trying to do it ourselves, and saying, okay, God, from now on, no longer I that live, but Christ who lives within me. If you need to pray this morning, repeat this. Let's see what great things God will do in all of our lives. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I repent of the foolish way that I have lived. From this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. His blood covered my sins. And he rose from the dead. Lord, give me that life as well. So now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to be bold concerning you. Give me love for the lost and more love for you. And thank you for writing my name in your book of life that I can spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says it begins with a prayer. God shows you your whole life is goodness. So being about daddy's business. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Oh man, I'll tell you, that changes the day, doesn't it? I remember almost like uh, it's a wonderful life. You pray and then somebody hits you in the mouth. I remember praying that one specific day. I said, Lord, not my will. You're, you know. And I had a blowout. And I go, thanks, God. I needed that. Only to find out when I took the tire in, there was a guy there that I hadn't seen for a long time. And we began to share about the Lord. And actually, it was all divine appointed. You go from the ordinary to the supernatural. 
You go from living in Egypt under Pharaoh, a hard satanic taskmaster, to living in the promised land being guided by Christ. This morning, enjoy that. Start reading your Bible. Good place to read. If you don't have a Bible, I'll give you one. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 3, and just read, and God will speak to you. We'll have a baptism. We'll have a sign-up. You can sign up for that. And be in fellowship. You need each other to encourage each other. The things that we do. Uh, again, it, it isn't just donuts. It's just talking to people afterwards, making friends. You know, I remember years ago when our church first started, and just came from just, I just used to go out on the cruise on a Friday and Saturday night. I had an orange van, and I had uh, long blonde hair and California license plates. Everybody in the cops thought I was a drug dealer. And I'd park out there like, like where Starbucks is now on, on Blue Lakes. That was something else. I can't remember what it was. And I'd park there, and people would come up and go, Hey, man, got any goodies? And I go, yeah. And they go, far out. <laughs> what do you got? I got, I got something really good. Really? And I start sharing about the Lord with them. <clears throat> I remember this one guy I prayed with. He had a van too. And he prayed and he says, will you come with me? There's some things I got to do. And I'm going, oh no. I didn't even know this guy. He looked like, like, like something out of ZZ Top. And I said, okay. So I went with him and we drove downtown and we drove up behind a dumpster and he literally tore his van apart. He had drugs stashed everywhere in there. And he just started pitching them out and I'm going, whoa. I I didn't know why he was driving downtown to a dark alley. I thought it was going to end up in the dumpster. And he's just cleaned it out. And he said, you know, I don't need that stuff anymore. And I was amazed to see God doing those kinds of things. And just to see God do that in your lives. And because God's got those miracles. See, those are what encouraged me. But back in those days, I remember the thought of going on a Friday night and getting a pizza without inviting people from church was unbelievable. I, I, we always had to have the gang there. More the better. We didn't care if they came to church one time or they'd been coming there a year. It didn't make any difference. Hey, come on, we're going to go get some pizza or we're going to go down to the park or we're going to go do something. And it was really amazing because it was going back. And I had a guy call me yesterday on the phone, Craig Bechtel. Some of you may know him. Biker dude. He's Some of these testimonies, he goes, you know, I was moving out west. I didn't know where to go. I was on my Harley and I was riding and he goes, I came to Colorado, and they had helmet laws, so I knew God wasn't calling me there. And he says, oh, I just ran on past. And he said, I ended up in Idaho, and I ended up, he ended up working up in Sun Valley and stuff, and we used to go, and he'd come down to church. And he called me yesterday, and he said, Mike, he says, how I long for the days of the fellowship of the saints, not just on Sunday morning, but that we were actually a, a big family. And I said, I know. I miss that. And he says... You know, it's so sad because church has just become an organized machine, not the fellowship of the saints. And I said, I know. I know. And I said, you know, I'm going to tell church that tomorrow. So I did. But we need to be careful we don't become a religious machine, but rather the fellowship of the saints. Because see, what we have, what you have, I'm not talking about other churches. I don't know about other churches. 
talking about this church. There's a fellowship of the believers here where you belong. Do you realize that there's a lot of people in this room, their parents will not talk to them because they're a Christian? Do you realize that there are children in this church that, they're, uh, th- that you're the only family they have? Do you realize how broken our society is where the term family vacation means who my mom is shacked up with this month and where we're going to go for a couple of days? See, our society is falling apart. And you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. If you accepted Christ this morning, welcome to God's family. Start shining. It isn't something you progress and grow into. It's something you are right now. The family of God and how precious you are to God. Let God bless you. Let God heal you. You know, when you're healed and and well, you can help others. Have you ever noticed on the airplane, you know, and, and they're going, uh, there's cushion below you may be used for a flotation device. Have you heard that one? How about a parachute? But they always tell you all this different stuff. And it says, if there's a loss in cabin pressure, first put the mask on you so then you can help others. Have you heard that? I have. As they're doing this, pointing to the exits. That's true. If you're broken, you, you, it's hard to help somebody. If you've got a broken arm, you can't, it's hard to pick somebody up. God is the healer. He's going to heal you. He'll take care of you. Don't worry about that. Let God heal you so we can be the family that pulls them in, friends. I don't want to pull people into religion. Religion is the rules and regulations you've got to do somehow to impress an unknowable God out there that just hopefully he won't rain lightning bolts down on your car. Well, that's not the God we serve. For God so loved the world. His heart breaks over a broken world, over a broken society. And says, I'm going to let you be my hands and my feet and my voice. Go get them. I've shared this many times. The world is always telling everybody to go to hell. Again, friends, Christians, let's tell them to go to heaven. Go to heaven! I guarantee you, you get a weird reaction out of that one, I'll tell you. Somebody cuts in front of you in the supermarket line, go to heaven! Huh? What do you mean by that? You know, I mean, they catch them off guard. That's what uh, MacArthur said in the Second World War concerning the invasion of Japan into the islands. He said, hit them where they're not. You know, they have a defense built up against Christianity. And, and, and then you hit them with something, go to heaven! Go, Whoa! But see, that's where it is. Being led of the Spirit. You are led, if you're of God, you're led of the Spirit. You're not trying in religion to appease God. God's been appeased by what Jesus did on the cross for you. All God is saying to you right now is enjoy my heart. Well, thanks, Dad. Because that's how God wants you to relate with him as a father. Father that loves you. This morning, if you need prayer, we have the prayer room off to the side. And if you prayed, maybe you just need a healing touch from God. Whatever it is, let's pray. Let's see what God will do. Afterwards, yes, there are donuts, coffee. I don't know what else. There's stuff over there. 
and just go over and, and, and meet somebody new and, and tell them, hey, I, I, this, this is neat. I, 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 I don't really want to go to church anymore. I want to go to fellowship. You know what I'm saying? You know the difference? I, I want to be a clone. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Who Jesus made you is awesome. You're unique in him. Be in him. And let God bless others through you. Remember, the message of the gospel is not what you should be doing. It's what God has done for you. Father, for each person here today, may your Holy Spirit come down. Come down, God. Touch each one of us. And fill us. Empower us. No room for hatred. No room for bitterness. Lord, we're all broken, but you're the great fixer. So fix us, Lord. Fix us. Heal us, God. May we never in this church ever become a machine, but may we always remember that we are just brothers and sisters united under your love, and we cry out to you, Daddy, this morning. So may you heal and restore and bless each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.